Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, a show where we discuss trends, marketing, pop culture, and the reign of Marvel Studios, because at the end of the day, everything is an ad. I'm Rebecca Stewart, Europe Brand Editor for Adweek, and this week we have a special guest co-host joining me on the other side of the mic, and it's Adweek's senior producer, Al Manorino. How are you doing, Al? I am doing great, Rebecca. Uh, missing loose, but very, very excited <laughs> to, to co-host the podcast with you. Uh, and this is going to be a really awesome episode. Yeah, I think this is the perfect one for you to co-host, actually, because you're geeking out <laughs> yes. a bit over the the guests we have on today. Do you want to tell our listeners who's joining us? Yeah, this is this is pretty awesome. So this week we are discussing all things Marvel, uh, including some recent coverage around the recent issues the studio has been experiencing and what this means for Marvel's marketing machine. Um, you know, Joining us this week are authors Joanna Robinson and Dave Gonzalez, who, along with Gavin Edwards, recently released MCU, The Reign of Marvel Studios, the unauthorized behind-the-scenes look into the franchise. Uh, but before we get into our conversation with Joanna and Dave, uh, we do have a few programming reminders for you. So uh, over on Adweek.com, we just announced the winners of Adweek's 2023 Audio Awards with Podcast of the Year going to the Succession Podcast hosted by Kara Swisher. So definitely check the all the award winners um, and listen to the podcast and all the other uh, amazing audio ads and things like that. On the Adweek Podcast Network, which I am the senior producer of, we have two new shows for you to check out, Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle which helps you navigate the future and make sense of today's rapid technological change, and The Garage, Tools for Retail Media Innovation, presented by Albertsons Media Collective. And don't miss our final Adweek events of the year. We have Adweek Next Tech in New York on November 14th to the 15th, and Adweek X in L.A. on December 4th. 
Yep, it's been super busy here. And as a quick reminder, you can listen to new episodes of Young Influentials, which is hosted by Adweek's one and only Colin Daniels every Tuesday on this feed. And if you haven't already subscribed to this podcast or you want to learn about all of the shows on the Adweek Podcast Network, just go to adweek.com forward slash podcasts. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you follow us on social at Adweek across every platform, if you have any questions, suggestions or kind words, then send us an email at podcast podcast at adweek.com. Now, without further ado, let's jump into our conversation with Joanna and Dave. Um, so hi both. How are you doing? Great. Yeah, Thanks for having good. us. Thanks for having us on. We're so excited to have you here today. And as I referenced earlier, um, there was this amazing variety article that came out last week and it was titled um, Marvel in Crisis. And that's really the kind of basis for this conversation. And we're living through the kind of rockiest point in Marvel's history. And the gist of the variety piece was that the films aren't bringing in the praise and the kind of box office that they once were. And Disney Plus shows are being criticised for not just their writing, but their special effects. And through your research for the book, have you been able to kind of pinpoint exactly the timeline of when Marvel's brand started to downturn and why? Joanna, do you want to go first? Sure. I'm happy to go first because Dave is going to disagree with you and that's going to be fun. We love a bit of disagreement. Right. A healthy debate. <laughs> um, you know, I think I think what's true, you know, if you look at this with a we don't have a long lens yet but with as long of a lens as we can put on it the peak is undeniably avengers endgame right that is the peak of marvel uh, they built to that for so long um as dave is fond of pointing out that's the last movie they had with an avengers at the front of a title so we you know we don't know what an avengers colon movie would do right now for marvel but we know that that was sort of their their ace in the hole was always the avengers team up movies that was when they still had you know, the the characters and the actors who had been with the franchise from the beginning. And after that, after Downey, Robert Downey Jr. left, after Chris Evans left, after Scarlett Johansson, well, after one more movie left, um, then there was this feeling of who who are we following? Who are we leading? Who's leading now, et cetera. There was still a remarkable amount of goodwill built up for Marvel. So films like Eternals and Shang-Chi like still did very, very well at the box office and still had sort of that critical benefit of the doubt. But um, I think what happened, what I like to say happened is that the Disney Plus era, which was Disney's mandate that Marvel start putting out not only just a couple movies a year, but a couple movies and several TV shows at the same time every year, did a lot to dilute the brand in terms of its potency. And then you start the first couple shows, I would say WandaVision and Loki are two of my favorite shows that Disney plus Marvel has done. You know, they come out the gate kind of strong with those, but then eventually you start getting much more uneven quality with the TV shows as well as Marvel itself is stretched thin. And so this is a long winded answer, but I think, I think <laughs> it just sort of like slowly chipped away at that, um, just that benefit of the doubt, that assurance that audiences had that you put Marvel Studios in front of something and it's going to be great. I am not as pessimistic as some people are about Marvel. And Dave even left, so I'll stop speaking for Dave. I'll just say, I'm not as pessimistic <laughs> as some people. I like to call this period the wobble, not like we're crashing, mm -hmm. but we're like we're on a wobble and it could go either way. But I don't think, I think it would be very silly to count Marvel out uh, given 
their their track record. And given that, you know, something like Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which came out this year, was mm. quite popular, quite critically acclaimed, quite profitable, you know, so it's not like they're they're in the, the gutter. Dave, what do you think? Yeah, I would say that uh, this year especially, um, it's been really easy to pile on Marvel as it's the indicator of the blockbuster special effects film. Um, they're at the top of the pile in terms of like superhero movies. Guardians is at the top with like box office. Uh, the streaming shows ha haven't been doing that well critically, but in comparison to like when they first debuted with like WandaVision, uh, first season of Loki, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, that was coming off of uh, a year without Marvel because the pandemic sort of shut everything down. So there was a time period where we all got to live off the high of Avengers Endgame for a period of time, and the brand was uh, as much in amber as everything was during that period. Uh, and when we returned to it, people had a lot of different expectations given the space in between. So on in addition to the output that Joanna's talking about, uh, in the book, we also kind of discovered and cover that uh, the way that the MCU was able to market itself overseas, especially in China, was sort of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity in the early 2010s uh, when China was opening itself up to a lot of international fare and returning a bigger percent of box office profits to those studios. Uh, that has since uh, reduced and died down, and China is now in a period of time where it's trying to promote more of its internal uh, cinema from its own country. Uh, so uh, the the... The tide overall has sunk in terms of box office for everybody. What we're seeing now that's sort of hitting at the box office is this idea of uh, like a viral hit. You have a Barbenheimer, you have a Five Nights at Freddy's, or you know everybody's you know <laughs> memeing that they're going to see some movie. And uh, Marvel doesn't have that sort of cachet because they're this ever-present hype machine. Uh, they're much more traditional in their marketing of both their television shows and their films and are really being hurt right now, I think, uh, with not uh, with the SAG after strike uh, sort of keeping them from having these big stars that they're trying to promote as the next big Marvel thing can't come out and say anything. The memeing did not work for the re-release of Morbius, though. We need to make sure everyone understands that. <laughs> yeah. Because that, that's Thank where it you. did not work. Yes. In that not Morbin time not ever Morbin again. Time. No. <laughs> so, you know, between the intense movie release schedule, the Disney Plus projects, it seems that another issue the studio has run into is the overproduction of content. Do you think this was just hubris coming from the biggest studio in the world? Or did they actually have a strategic plan to create and market all of these projects at the same time? By biggest studio in the world, do you mean Disney? <laughs> Disney, uh, yeah, we yeah. Okay. Disney, right? At this point, <laughs> uh, just just making sure. Um, yeah, I think that. Oh, did they have a plan? Um, I definitely think there's some hubris involved for sure. But I think you know the genesis of this overproduction, this sort of content glut, um, comes from Bob Iger when he left Disney for a spell before he came back. Um, and his sort of legacy project out the door was the launching of Disney Plus. And he was really intent on Disney winning the streaming wars and that being part of his legacy. And the streaming wars in general have just been cattle prodding every sector of the entertainment industry to produce, produce, produce content, 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 content. And 
one thing I love in the book is Kevin Feige saying how much he hates the word content. He's just like, <laughs> I, I hate that word, right? Um, and so it's Iger's mandate uh, that Disney start making all these shows that, that, you know, like basically the sun will never set on the MCU empire and that there will always be a superhero superheroing on Disney plus. They've already veered back away from that and are taking some slight pauses between projects because they're realizing part of it is, is that general hubris, but there's more focused hubris. I would say I generally don't like to knock the Marvel method because I think it is actually quite brilliant and has done incredible things in the film realm. But when they try to apply some of those same lessons to television without having anyone in house who really had a deep knowledge of television, like we have a quote from longtime Marvel producer Nate Moore, who's who's brilliant. But in, in our book, he talks about how he was learning about television from one of their showrunners, Malcolm Spellman, on Falcon the Winter Soldier, because he's like, well, we didn't know anything about television. So we were just sort of like asking. And and I use, I use the word showrunner, but that's inaccurate because they weren't using showrunners. They were calling them head writers, you know. And so they were kind of trying to, on the fly, learn how to make television from these you know TV folk that they were employing, while also trying to make television the same way they make movies, which is not to prioritize the writer, usually TV is a writer's medium, but in general at Marvel, if you're a screenwriter, and you'll see this in our book, that there's just like constantly screenwriters fighting for WGA arbitration because they're constantly coming up against this who really does make the Marvel movie? Is it the art department that puts the key art together in the first place? Is it the director who like molds this? Is it Kevin Feige who, uh, you know, puts all the pieces together and calls for additional photography to cover certain things? And so when you have that unorthodox method that works for their movies, to try to apply that to the TV shooting schedule is just impossible. So I don't know that it's like a promotional issue or anything like that. I, I don't think the publicity is the problem. I think it's the quality of the brand itself, the quality of, of the content, because something that when we talked to some of those head writers like Jack Schaefer, who did WandaVision, she was talking about how they never knew how they were going to be able to end their own show because they didn't know which way Marvel was necessarily going to want to pivot off of the back of their show. So the finale is sort of this gray box as they're breaking the season because they don't know how it's supposed to end because Marvel itself doesn't quite know what it's going to do with Wanda next. And um, because Multiverse of Madness was in chaos. And so when all this stuff is connected, but also they're keeping a lot of their creatives in the dark about what the bigger picture is, it just gets quite messy. So I think they could, you know, again, WandaVision was such a... An interesting hit for them out of the gate because it appealed not just to the Marvel loyalists, but also it sort of appealed to TV people. It was in the Emmys conversation. People love Elizabeth Olsen, Paul Bettany, Catherine Hahn. Like it was breaking out into, I was working at Vanity Fair at the time. I would, I will say with love and affection, the snootier people I knew who didn't care <laughs> about Marvel at all were kind of like, oh, but this WandaVision thing, this tour of TV history that is WandaVision is interesting. And we love Catherine Hahn and Agatha all along is a bop. And so, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it was working yeah. until it's collapsed on itself. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's such an interesting point as well, Joanna, like that TV is an entirely different beast to movies. And Dave, you know, you mentioned earlier that, you know, although there has been this wobble, there is still some bright spots like Loki and that's kind of giving fans hope. Like, do you think they've marketed, you know, successful projects like Loki a bit differently? Oh, I wish they knew beforehand which projects to market differently. But I think <laughs> what we've seen in 2023 and uh, what we managed to include at the book, right, as we were uh, heading to the publication date, is they were like, they were really into Ant-Man and the Wasp Mania. Like internally, they were showing it to people <laughs> and they're like, we're really doing it with this one. We're kicking off phase five <laughs> with like a, you know, a big project. <clears throat> and they marketed it that way. And then that's not the response they got. So everything since mm. has been um, a little bit of uh, adapting to how their internal perceptions might be a little differently calibrated uh, than they used to be pre-Endgame. So there's you have something like the final trailer for the Marvels, which came out the same week the movie released and started off with like, a, here's Tony Stark, here's Captain America. You remember these guys? Here's Thanos. Maybe our villains like one of these people. Maybe our heroes are like these people. Like, But you, this thing you remember, it's definitely going to pay off finally here in the Marvels, um, uh, which sort of read as a little bit of a Hail Mary uh, way of That's marketing, great. especially after, yeah. you know, on Disney Plus, Secret Invasion was supposed to change everything and changed absolutely nothing. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I wish, I, I think they uh, have a little bit of uh, self-doubt in terms of how their marketing team has approached uh, things in the past. Uh, they have had a little bit more trouble, and I don't know necessarily with the Disney Plus series, this might be because uh, the plots continuously change. Uh, as the, they're in production, but I think they're having trouble finding what the hook in each project is going to be for the audience. They know what they would like the hook to be, uh, but because they're sort of new at this TV game and because the movies are facing this uh, sort of cultural idea that you need to have watched the other, you know, 25, 32 movies uh, in order to catch up on the plot, uh, they're looking for ways to combat that uh, in the marketing stage uh, because there's a feeling that, you know, everybody went and saw like Infinity War or Endgame. And so what's going to bring those people that have, you know, checked in once or twice over the past 10 years to the new project? Can we find a hook for them? And I think they're struggling a little bit there. Yeah, that's so fascinating. They basically need another one division, you know, like what Joanna was saying, that got people that weren't necessarily into Marvel in the first place hooked in, reeled them in. Um, and you mentioned game. that... They have another WandaVision. Loki season two is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've not watched Loki. Oh, it's I, fantastic. I shouldn't say that oh, on this I think podcast, you'd like but... it. Yeah, yeah I'm really definitely going to... <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about how audiences have changed, but before we get into that, we're going to go for a quick ad break and a word from one of our sponsors. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. My dad works in B2B marketing. 
but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. So Dave, I want to pick up on something that you said, and you know, it's this trouble that Marvel has with audiences evolving and changing and kind of pinpointing what they need now. And I feel that Marvel movies were so squared towards millennials, but now Gen Z is kind of losing interest in this universe. And I'm just obsessed with this idea that Gen Zs hate Marvel. Is that the case? And, you know, do they need to be pulled back in? Does Marvel need to refresh things or revamp things within the universe to pull them in? Dave, I don't know if you want to go first on that one. Yeah, I mean, the simple answer is yes. But uh, once again, I think this is an industry-wide problem. Like, what is Gen Z watching? How do you get them uh, plugged into what we would consider traditional uh, structures to either feed into a TV series where they're not watching TV or to go to the movies, which they are doing much less than previous uh, generations in terms of how we're fed, how they're fed entertainment. Uh, yeah, I think if I were to give some advice, it really is try to find the most memeable version of your movie uh, to try to get people out. And it's it's sad, but that's I think where a lot of film uh, advertising is going to end up going. You know, in terms of uh, when the Marvels was finally released with the premiere without SAG-AFTRA, I saw more of uh, Goose in the Las Vegas sphere than I saw of anybody talking about the movie. So I think there's uh, just an agree to get people to try it. And I think that's a problem with a lot of uh, prestige and blockbuster programming um, when it comes to Gen Z. Like, because their relationship with the IP era of film and prestige television is different. I grew up reading comic books, so I'm like, oh my god, all my stuff, all the stuff I liked is popular now. Uh, and um, I'm essentially like a dad to these people, and they're like, well, if all, like, the stuff that dad likes is always popular, and I, so I don't think they're going to be able to pull on that. Uh, they're not going to be able to treat Gen Z like Marvel was un- ever trying to underserve them, and now they're ascendant. Rather, they have to figure out a way to bring a new generation to the biggest thing that's already super popular, and that just seems uncool. There, I want to sort of yes, sideways yes and, Dave, and say that, like, <laughs> while I understand, I mostly agree with this sort of memeing idea, I would more accurately describe it as, like, this move towards making movie going feel more communal because I think the idea of like Barbie and Oppenheimer felt like an event and people dressed up 
um, and did all this stuff. Same with like the Minions thing. Same with the Eras tour. Like, you know, it just feels like a thing that you're doing with other people and you feel connected to other people. There is like a, a, a meme quality to it or, or social media quality to it in that you can like take a fun photo of yourself or a fun video of yourself and your group and your costume or like, you know, of the crowd and stuff like that. But it's no, I think for popular, popular entertainment, uh, it's no longer quite the ideal that, uh, you know, those of us who are love popular entertainment and our film snobs would like, which is everyone sit very quietly in a cold, dark theater and just to, like, don't say a word. That That is becoming more and more of, like, a boutique experience at the movie theaters, unfortunately. I... I often prefer things that way, but then I also went to the Eras tour and you know in the theater and had a great time and everyone was talking and dancing and stuff like that and that was really fun too. So like, y- you know, it, it can go it can go a number of ways, but I think for something like Marvel and and like Harry Potter experience is is experiencing this as well, where it's not cool to like the things that your parents were obsessed with. You know, like Gen Z loves making fun of millennials for their Harry Potter obsession. You know, like it's just. It's a it's a cyclical thing, but something that Marvel is actively working towards, and they have been for several projects now, because I think they are they're smart and they are aware of this. Um, is they're seeding in these younger superheroes uh, that comic book readers know as like they're called the Young Avengers. You know what I mean? So you get like Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop in the Hawkeye show, or you get Amon Vellani who's in the Marvels, had her own show, Miss Marvel. You know Cassie Lang who is Scott Lang's daughter in Quantumania. Like they're seeding in these younger superheroes. Uh, you know for the future of the franchise. So they know that like. Captain America, be he Anthony Mackie or, C- or, you know, or Chris Evans is not necessarily going to play the way that someone like Amon Vellani, uh as Miss Marvel as Kamala Khan, she is, Dave and I just ha- went to a press screening of the Marvels last night. She is just incredible. She's wonderful. And as an ambassador for Marvel, like we, we are all being deprived of her publicity tour for the Marvels right now um, <laughs> because she is just, she's a huge enthusiast. She's delightful. And I can't think of a better sort of person to pin the hope of reaching a younger audience on than, than someone like her. They were so lucky to find her. I mean, who of us hasn't like, yelled at a bunch of kids during a screening of x-men first class like every, you know that's i all right that was me that was me personally okay sorry just you Al. that was just me oh, that was just me uh yeah no i i totally agree it, it's situational you can you know scream sing at a taylor swift eras tour or you can be quiet during x-men first class those are the two options um no i i i, I totally agree um uh, amon Vellani is like i think that's the reason we're not seeing you know obviously the the this this all the strikes that were happening, we had the writer strike first, but now we have uh, continuing with the, the the SAG after strike. We're not seeing the marketing from that standpoint from from these from the actors, the writers, directors, um, you know, in full fledged. We're seeing a lot of um, like behind the scenes stuff that was already pre recorded. So do, yeah. do, do you guys see that as like a huge factor in terms of you know the the success of these projects that are still in the winds, like ones that have already like been created like the marvels or you know any of the upcoming shows i i mean i think so i mean uh, you know they just had a junket for the marvels and you had like mary lovanos who is a marvel producer great nia DaCosta, the director you know you have got some folks there able to give interviews but you don't have like a mandalani plays with kittens for buzzfeed or yeah. you know whatever else like it to or give just you be, that just morality is herself 
for five minutes. Yeah. She doesn't have to play She's with amazing. kittens. I'm just saying, you know, like whatever um, that you get at those junkets. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not getting that star power. You're not getting Samuel Jackson even like getting to say like fun snarky things or or whatever. You know, I was at the, I was at the. I don't go to a ton of junkets, but I was at the junket for Captain Marvel, and I just like remember, you know, I remember Samuel Jackson like really just holding court and all this sort of stuff like that. And without that star power, which has been eternally part of the promotional machine of any studio um they're struggling but we i mean we support the strike we support the actors uh holding out for what they deserve uh i would you know go knock on the door of the amptp if you want if you want more of this um they're the ones who need to come to the table and um but i do i do think it's hurting uh, marvel which is the point of a strike to make them hurt right so absolutely and so kind of in the, on the positive note is like the comic industry has a history of resetting things in their own continuity and relaunching titles you know to sell more books uh, in this case would be kind of to sell more movies or shows do you see any sort of rebrand or relaunch in marvel studios future uh, i kick it to dave first uh they have the possibility to do so uh i would be very surprised if they did uh if you think um, there's a perception that Marvel's in trouble now. Imagine when New Coke Marvel's announced, everyone's just going to eat that alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a more of a possibility that they try to uh, do some PR marketing shifts. Uh, something like Echo is just uh, is going to be released in January as a binge drop. It has been announced as a Marvel Spotlight, and they're pushing the Marvel Spotlight brand is like you don't need to have watched all these other things, which is hilarious for a series that's going to have Daredevil <laughs> and Kingpin in it. Um, but I think that they're going to attempt to do something like that and bring people into the folds because there are a lot of reboots on the comic book side, uh, but Kevin Feige is more of a movie person than a comic book person, and there were especially comments when uh, Sony was rebooting Spider-Man to Amazing Spider-Man in 2012, uh, sorry, 2011-2012, that... um, Kevin Feige's notes were like, why would you ever, re- why am I seeing the spider bite again? Why would you ever call it? It's like, no, every time we switched James Bond, we didn't like go back and have to explain to people who James Bond was. And that's the level he's at. <laughs> so uh, it, even if we do end up getting something like someone else takes the title of Iron Man or so, like we've seen that already sort of happened in Marvel Studios, I think rebooting is sort of, Uh, a last-ditch effort, and I'd be surprised if Kevin Feige does it. Which isn't to say that you can't do a very comic book reboot, which is like a massive reset where everything that you've seen existed and mattered, but going forward, it's going to be something else. Yeah, we don't need to see the Waynes die again. Please, just no more. Uncle Ben. Uncle Ben, don't show us. Don't do it again. Joanna, do you have anything to add? No, I mean you 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 uh, gently muttered the word Secret, Secret Wars. Wars, and I think that that's yeah, like that's something we've been talking about. Again, Dave and I, uh, however much we might know about Marvel, are not promising that anyone that Downey and Evans and Johansson or whatever are going to come back. But Secret Wars is an opportunity to do something like that, to do a soft reboot, to shed what isn't working to drill down on what is working and, uh, you know, go forward in a, maybe a more streamlined, uh, well-oiled fashion afterwards for sure. All right. Well, last kind of question for you guys. Um, you know, it's not all trouble as I alluded to for Marvel studios. Uh, Loki season two has been great. 
Um, I'm such a huge fan of your your deep dives. I mentioned uh, before uh, the, your deep <laughs> dives on House of R, and I believe it Thank was you. Mallory, your co-host, uh, who Mallory Rubin, who mentioned that she ordered McDonald's while wa- watching the first two episodes. <laughs> so it's safe to yeah. say that that marketing tie-in was a success. Um, do you think this will bring in more obvious like brand partnerships, marketing tie-ins like McDonald's in the future, especially if you know ticket sales are on, on the decline, especially with the Marvels coming out, like, do, do you think we're going to see more of this kind of like obvious product brand? Placement. Yeah, product placement. Not even this is like it, it went almost beyond product placement. It became a crucial part of the story. <laughs> they like served McDonald's at the premiere at the I like heard. screening that Mallory went to in yeah. Los Angeles. Yeah, Mallory's been eating a lot of McDonald's. Uh, <laughs> while watching Loki. I get I get like photos of her meals. It's interesting. Um, she has a whole. <laughs> air fryer situation for the fries or something like that That's smart but um <laughs> the fries are uh, instantly cold in about 30 seconds yeah because she door dash she door dash anyway I, I can't <laughs> yeah. talk about never door dash her. mcdonald's no. i just i yeah. i'm baffled by it she will defend it i will let her do that for herself <laughs> um yeah i mean i'm trying to think of other major uh, as you say goes beyond product placement to be part of the you know the furniture of of the series I could see it happening, but then also, again, I feel like if we're if we're thinking in a Gen Z direction, Gen Z is so savvy about stuff like that, and, and you know, so it has to be. I think the way they did it with Loki is kind of smart because they're not saying like, first of all, it's the McDonald's that you see in Loki is the McDonald's from the eighties. So they're not saying like, try our newest Avengers burger or whatever. <laughs> like that's not what they're doing. Right. They're like, Hey, chicken nuggets. They've been around for a really long time. Um, apple pie. That's good. Um, so it's, it's cleverly done in a way that it doesn't feel like an in your face commercial. Actually, Dave and I were talking about this on, uh, Dave joined me for the latest deep dive on uh, Loki, and we were talking about it as almost like a postmodern literature move to put like a, an Americana brand like McDonald's in the middle of this existential story about free will and determinism <laughs> and all this sort of stuff like that. Maybe that's giving them too much credit. But I, ca- I can't see necessarily, and, and maybe Dave has examples that will prove me wrong, but I can't see, you know, Captain Marvel kicking back in her spaceship with Goose and then cracking open a Pepsi and like staring down the camera or something like that. Like, I feel like those, I could be naive, but I feel like those days, at least in movies like this, are gone. But am I wrong, Dave? What do you I think? I mean, Baskin Robbins always finds out, right? There you and that's true. That's a great, great That example. was an organic brand thing that they that's were able right. to sort of like grow out. Uh, I, I think there's there's room for that because there's room to do it well. And uh, a lot of things uh, that can ground these Marvel heroes sometimes is, is an idea that they're just like, they're aware of the Marvel universe and that our, that universe is close to ours. So I think there's a possibility to do these things in a smart way. And then you have characters like She-Hulk, Deadpool that can naturally fold those things in and make them feel like a joke. Like that one season that everything on NBC was advertising Subway. And you could like maybe do something like that that's a little bit more meta and uh, interesting. Um, uh, the McDonald's one, though, you do have to find that, that sweet spot or the Baskin-Robbins sweet spot where uh, it, it's a commentary on a commentary on a commentary because that's how smart audiences are looking for, for brand things. You can't be like release the marvels and then be like oh now our adidas trackwear marvel suit like people aren't gonna go that far into it yeah yeah uh, i was gonna say it just reminded me that the, the community episode with subway 
during that <laughs> during that 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 month or whatever you're talking about is 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 like genius level meta like yeah. of a brand partnerships and those a lot of those people are the people that are now working on the Marvel Cinematic Universe because right. there's definitely a community to Dan Harmon projects to Rick and Morty to Marvel Pipeline so they're they're on top of it they there's like it's it's kind of weird that Rick and Morty did Szechuan sauce and then Loki did McDonald's oh that's true right. I, didn't even, I yeah. didn't even piece that together I think McDonald's could be the key to engaging Gen Z or the Grimace <laughs> Shake generation oh yeah yeah uh, the Marvel needs to yeah. Grimace shake it up a bit the Thanos oh, shake Love that. <laughs> the Thanos great. shake yeah <laughs> well thank you so much Joanna and Dave this has been a really really interesting conversation everyone check out Joanna and Dave's book uh, can you let listeners know where they might be able to find it uh our clever marketing genius, Dave <laughs> Gonzalez, put together a website that's called themcubook.com. Dave is the king of buying up uh, URLs for projects. So themcubook.com has order links, all of our tour dates, everything that you could possibly want all in one place. So Amazing. Amazing. Well, make sure to check it out. And thank you, Al, for joining this week. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and let me nerd out with uh, two amazing people. Uh, as I keep showing off, I have the Reign of Marvel Studios in my hand and I'm excited to, to read it on my commute home. Uh, it's so shiny, I isn't know. it? I know. Really cool. <laughs> especially, especially where I have it. In yeah, the studio. exactly. Very uh, eye-catching. It's glistening. <laughs> yeah, thank you both for joining. Thank you for having yep. us. Yeah, and thank you for listening. And don't forget to check out our other podcasts on the Adweek Podcast Network. Remember, tomorrow you can tune in for a new episode of Young Influentials with Adweek's digital editor, Colin Daniels. So make sure you check back, and Liz and I will be back with you next week. Thank you for listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by me, Al Manorino, executive produced by Chris Ahrens and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGivney at Boutwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcast. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.